good all the time. Amen. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through seven, and we're talking about holiness. And what came to my mind as I thought about Thanksgiving was in Romans chapter 12. Up to that point, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Rome and he is giving them doctrine. Man, he's, he's giving them the truth. And then he comes to chapter 12 and he moves to, okay, it's time to live this every day. It's time to put this into your daily walk with God. And, and so he starts out Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 and 2 and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy. I just stop there a second. Because everything that we have when we look at our great God is mercy. Because the truth of the matter is when you look at the scriptures. Guys, it's not about our goodness. It's not about what we have done. As a matter of fact, next to Almighty God, we're in trouble. But he says, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on and he tells us. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And don't let the world. As J.B. Phillips says. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. And boy it will. Quickly. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. His will for you. So this morning, as we look at his scripture and we look at that part of the heart that needs to be dealt with. God, am I set apart for you? God, as a form of worship to you, Lord, have I offered myself to you. I'm weak, but I'm yours. And this is an opportunity for us to let God do a little work in us. So that we might be reminded of areas that need to be close to Him. That may not be. So, with all that in mind, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to look at these first seven verses. And I'll ask you, in honor of our great God, if you will stand as I read aloud the text. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this manner, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Let's pray. Father, we're looking at your call this morning, Lord. You have called us as your children to live a holy life. I pray, Father, as we continue to worship you, as we sought to begin by preparing our hearts and then singing to you and worshiping you 
Father, in, in prayers and giving. And Father, now we want to continue that worship through your word. And Holy Spirit, we recognize unless you speak, nothing is said. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask for your anointing. And I ask, oh God, that you would minister to us through the word. That we would be able to hear from you. And Father, may we just simply leave here and say, man, it was good to be in God's house. With God's people. But most of all, with God himself. So, Father, um, continue to work. In your name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 19.23 tells us, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The problem is, as I look around me in our culture, what I notice is less and less fear of God. God is seldom mentioned. Often, um, in our entertainment and in our news and everything else, it's almost as if God doesn't exist because He's never mentioned. So is it any wonder, according to Proverbs 19, verse 23, that our lives are so touched by trouble? Is it any wonder that people feel like there's no purpose to life or to living? For it is the fear of the Lord that leads to life. So if there's no fear of the Lord... What is life about? It says then one rests untouched by trouble. We're constantly touched by trouble. Why? Because we've lost sight of what life is about. It's about God. And it's about serving God. It's about loving God. And as we look at this culture and as we see, it just breaks my heart as I see so many of God's standards um, are seldom talked about or considered even to be God's standards in our culture. And we often look at it like, man, it's never been like this before. But the truth is, as you look through the New Testament letters, Paul and Peter and these writers speak a whole lot about living a holy life, being set apart to God. You see, at that Roman culture of the Roman Empire, especially toward the end, people's lives were shattered because they had no room. For the living God, but lived for the lusts of this life. Matter of fact, one Roman historian, Seneca, he wrote of the Roman culture that it is fashionable for women to be identified with the names of their many husbands. He specifically mentioned one woman who had eight husbands in five years. Demosthenes. Another ancient writer wrote these words. He said, Men kept prostitutes for pleasure, mistresses for the day-to-day needs, and wives for the begetting of children and the managing of the home. So long as a man financially supported his wife and children, there was no shame whatsoever in sexual immorality. Morality was dead. Add to that... The fact that bisexuality in the Roman Empire eventually became the norm. Preferred over heterosexuality. Abortion was legal, including infanticide. Drug abuse was legal and rampant. Alcoholism was an epidemic. He closes by saying, with that, you can understand how Christianity radically changed 
a person's life pleasures, relationships, and life. In this culture, what do we blush at? What embarrasses us anymore? Jeremiah, as he was led by the Lord to speak to God's people, said these words. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. Wow. As they say, what goes around comes around. And it seems as if we've come back around there. What causes us to blush? What brings shame? The Scriptures declare in Ephesians 2.1 that before we met Jesus, we were spiritually dead. We were unable to respond to Him. He had to first respond to us so that we were convicted and able through the power of the Holy Spirit to respond to Him and be reborn by the Spirit of God. But before that, we, man, we weren't just sick spiritually. We were without life spiritually that is what the scriptures so declare and as you look at the roman empire as you look at the culture around us it is not the focus should not be specifically how bad the culture is the focus should be specifically there's no fear of god and so quite honestly the fingers instead of going out come back here am i set apart for god does my life belong to him am i a testimony through my walk, through the way that I live. Now, let's look at our text. He begins in 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Man, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that they were living for God? Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. In other words, he's saying, I want you to grow close to God, to walk close with Him. And of course, uh, the inference there is, if you don't walk close to God, you're going to move away from God in your walk with Him. This is 1 Corinthians ten twelve. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Man, we are all susceptible to doing what we never imagined we would do. No one here is beyond temptation or beyond falling into a grievous sin that we never thought could happen. It could happen to all of us. We all need it. We all need His grace because there's no telling what we are capable of. You see, we either pursue holiness or we will drift away from it. So he's telling us this first point. Don't be satisfied with standing still. Long to be like Jesus. Secondly, don't begin compromising with what remains clear. Notice verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, that word sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia, and it's from the word we get our word pornography. In other words, what he is saying here is sexual behavior 
outside of God's guidelines of marriage. That should not be what marks a Christian. That should not be how we live. It's so sad in our culture, you know, of course the internet, you check and you don't know how accurate things are, but if there's any accuracy as I was looking in facts or claims, it said 70% of high school graduates or 70% of those in high school graduate and get a degree, but also 70% don't leave a virgin. How tragic. We have, we have lost sight of, of what it means to be set apart. <laughs> um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. I could, I could you know, talk about immorality that is around us. And, and quite honestly, we see enough of it, don't we? <laughs> Just through what we watch and what we listen to and... And, you know, it's certainly out there. I want you to notice here in our text, it's really interesting here. He tells us in verse 3, it is God's will. You know, there's some things you wonder, is this God's will? How do I know this is God's will? You know, some things we really worry about. Should I take that job? Should I marry that person? Should I do this? Should I do that? Right? I mean, you know, you go on with the list. Here, he says, you know, this is not up for debate. He says, it is God's will. Now, we live in a culture where that message is in conflict with this. I mean, just think about it. Uh, often, um, you, you don't have to wonder, what does God think about it? He says it here. You don't have to pray about it. He says it here. You don't have to wonder, well, if I just love that person, I mean, just, I mean, really love that person, then it's God's will. No, it's not. That's not what is taught here. Or if a denomination or, you know, meets, I don't care what the denomination is, and, and they're having a debate over this. That's not what makes it God's will. Or... If we're going to do a petition, I don't care how many signatures you get on the petition. The only signature that ultimately matters is God's. And it's not on that petition. So he tells us here, avoid sexual immorality to abstain from it. He's, don't take a little taste. Don't dip your toe in. Don't explore. Don't experiment. <laughs> you know, and, and don't buy into that lie. Well, I'm going to marry that person. So it's okay. It's not what this text tells us to do. Do you know what that word abstain in the Greek means? Abstain! It's not that complicated. That's what it is. And this idea, we hear it all the time, we'll practice safe sex. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as safe sex. And let me tell you, there's no such thing as safe sin. Sin separates. Sin hurts people. That's why God hates sin. Because it hurts people. That's why we hate 
sin because it separates us from God and it separates us from one another. And people are hurt. And there's people all around us who are hurt. Just throw out a few uh, statistics that I, I, I ran across. One author writes in one of his books, every day more than 4,000 teenagers contract a sexually transmitted disease in our country. Another author writes, the Minnesota Institute of Public Health reported there are now 21 sexually transmitted diseases which are not prevented by contraception. Today, more than 25 million Americans suffer from herpes, an incurable disease. Bruce Watke, an Old Testament scholar, wrote these words. The United States Public Health Services Center for Disease Disease Control have a statistic that no one will ever see on television. (laughs) But I quote, A new sexually transmitted infection is diagnosed every 45 seconds, and in its wake are pain, blindness, arthritis, infertility, brain damage, heart disease, and death. In spite of penicillin and wonder drug, millions of people are contracting new generations of incurable sexually transmitted disease. Another author provides a results finding 300,000 people contract hepatitis B every year globally, a virus often transmitted in this fashion. It causes permanent liver damage and death. According to health experts, many of the victims think they have the flu, while in fact their liver is in the process of shutting down. We don't have news coverage of this. There's no attention brought to it. Why? Because people want to, they don't want to change their behavior. They, they want to continue in their sin and not be bothered. But there's a price for that. Matter of fact, as you guys know, you know how God says to deal with sexual temptation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual temptation. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. In other words, the way to deal with sexual sin is Run! Don't debate. Don't philosophize. Run. Get out of there. That is what he says. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, I read about a middle school in Oregon. Boy, rabbit time. Anyway, a middle school in Oregon. That never stops a preacher, right? There's a middle school in Oregon, and these girls had this practice of they put on lipstick, and go to the bathroom mirror and kiss it. And, and you know, it was annoying to the janitor and all these lipstick stains on there. Tried to deal with this issue, but none of the young ladies seemed to care. So finally, the principal came up with a great idea. She rounded up um, at least some of the leaders that they at least um, thought were the troublemakers, were suspicious of, And they brought him in with the janitor. And she said, ladies, this is a great deal of work. This is wrong. You should not do this. They just rolled their eyes. So finally she said to the janitor, sir, will you please show them how much work this is? he, He said, yes. And he takes a long brush. And he dips it in the toilet. And he goes to the mirror. And he cleans off the mirrors. And that took care of the problem. It's so sad that 
so many in our culture don't see what they're doing. And the result of that behavior. Kissing up in the wrong places hurts people. All right, number three. Don't begin impersonating your surrounding culture. Look at verse four. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. We are not called to be like those who do not know God. We are called to be different. Set aside for Him. Notice verse 7 here. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. We know people who certainly um, would argue with that. Uh, Here's some of the stuff you might hear. Come on, you think that's wrong? You're just being judgmental. You've heard that? And that makes you as much a sinner as anybody else. How can something that has brought such enjoyment to my life be wrong? Or God's will is for me to be happy. And I'm happy. Or God wouldn't deny me something he obviously created me to want, would he? Or my marriage was never God's will in the first place, so this isn't really adultery. Or marriage is just a piece of paper anyway. God knows my heart. Or how about this one? The real issue is love. And when I'm with that other person, I'm acting with the highest form of love (laughs) I've ever known. But here's the catch, guys. Immorality only shows you the commercial. It never shows you the hangover. Never the girl sobbing because she feels she's been used. Never the husband who has to come home with a sexually transmitted disease that's changed the course of the family forever. You don't ever see that. And when we have the concept that has infected so many in our country of cohabitating and not getting married, um, you know, you have this kind of thinking. It helps the couple get started financially in the right direction because they can combine their incomes. It gives the people a chance to know each other, to prepare for marriage. Um, They are able to get all the physical benefits of a married couple and and not have to worry about an expensive wedding to pay for. That's the commercial. But the result, and several places have, this is one place in the new Oxford Review, several years of research, and it came up with these 12 findings as a result of living together instead of being married. Cohabitating couples are nearly eight times more likely to separate due to discord in their first year together. Cohabitating couples have a separation rate five times greater than married couples. Cohabitating women contribute more than 70% of the relationship's financial income. On average, the men in cohabitating households earn far less income than married men with families. Compared to married individuals, those who are cohabitating report higher levels of depression. The poverty rate among children in cohabitating households is five times greater than children living in married couples' homes. Children 12 to 17 with cohabitating parents are six times more likely to exhibit emotional and behavioral problems. And then finally, cohabitation presents a greater risk for sexually transmitted disease because cohabitating men are four times more likely to be unfaithful than husbands. Wow. All right, let me... Just quickly, 
close here with these observations, closing observations. First, man, no one ever lived in a generation where it was easy to be holy. Listen to these words from a former professor of sociology at Harvard. There has been a growing preoccupation of our culture with the social sewers, the broken homes of disloyal parents and unloved children, the bedroom of the prostitute, a brothel, a den of criminals, a ward of the insane, a club of dishonest politicians, a street corner gang of delinquents, a hate-laden prison, the courtroom of a dishonest judge, the sex adventures of rapists, the loves of adulterers and fornicators, of masochists, sadists, mistresses, and playboys. And it is all seductively prepared and served with all the trimmings. And he wrote these words in 1965. Secondly, uh, no one lives a life of holiness by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul gives this command to Timothy to pursue godliness. And the word pursue, it literally is the word we get our word gymnasium from. And it says, in other words, work up a sweat. You have to work at it. It's not easy. We have this sinful nature that we fight with. But turn to God. Lean on God. Pray. Be in the word. Be with God's people. Say, God, empower me. To live for you. It's not an accident. (laughs) And then holy. Since holiness is not an accident. I want to close. And just go through here. With six tips here. You see on the outline. Um, Don't justify little compromises as innocent. Oftentimes where a person ends up is because of erosion. Doesn't happen immediately. These little compromises. Secondly. Don't wait to fight temptation when it becomes dangerous. It already is dangerous. (laughs) Third, don't assume you're beyond the reach of any sin. That's why, you know, we do have to be careful about, I cannot believe that person did that. Fourth, don't develop close friendships that encourage you to think like a Gentile (laughs) or a person who has no time or room. God. I'm not talking about friendships. I'm talking about the closest inner circle of friends. Five, be honest. When temptation knocks, you can't handle it alone. So don't play the tough guy or gal. We need him. And then lastly, keep your running shoes close by and run. (laughs) All right, let me close with this prayer from a book called Valley of Vision, which is a book of Puritan prayers. Oh God, I have no merit. Let the merit of Jesus stand for me. I am undeserving, but I look to thy tender mercy. I am full of infirmities and sin. Thou art full of grace. I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I have gone from one odious room to another. Walked in a no man's land of dangerous imaginations. Pried into the secrets of my fallen nature, Lord. Thou hast struck a heavy blow at my pride. At the false god of self and I lie in pieces before thee. 
Thou hast given me another master and Lord, thy son, Jesus. My heart is turned toward holiness. My life towards complete obedience to thee. Help me in all my doings to put down sin and to humble pride. Save me from the love of the world and everything that is natural to fallen man. And let Christ's nature be seen in me. Grant me grace to bear thy will without complaining. And the light to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long. And lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may be built in Christ forever. Let's pray. God, here we are, Lord. We have looked at your truth, Lord. And now at the second altar, we have a chance, Lord, to do business with you. We have an altar that is open, Lord. Um, I can't help but believe there's not someone who needs to come to this altar to pray. And Father, I, I can't help believe there are not other decisions that need to be made for you or sins you want us to deal with right now, Lord. You may want us to come before the church family to declare these, or you may want us simply to deal privately before you and no one else. But Lord, what matters is that we do what you want. Lord. And so that, that's my simple prayer, God. This is a time, it's your time, a time for us to visit the altar and to worship you. So, Father, as we stand and as we sing, may we worship and may we do what that requires. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.